Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. First off, thanks again for just all the love and support you guys have been giving me. The response to this podcast has been incredible. So thank you, each and every one of you, especially Matt Kinappen, who was one of the first people to encourage me to do this. People are tuning into this from all over the world, even France. We have listeners in Clichy and Valise Villa Couble. I figured I'd better say hi to you guys now because you might not be fans after this week's episode. We're going to talk about the Edmonton Eskimos, vegetarian burgers, what exactly is right-wing extremism, leading to a very clean segue into how the left never wants to define anything, Keystone, Gorilla Glue, Jason Kenney's new pet forest, public transportation, and the potential Line 5 shutdown. Stick around. And now, your number one source for what's happening in Canada today. From the mind that brought you 222 minutes, this is my 222 cents. Three, two, one. The Edmonton Eskimos, for those poor folks out there who don't eat, sleep, and breathe CFL, dropped the name Eskimo not too terribly long ago because it's so terribly offensive. They have a placeholder for the moment, as the Edmonton football team. The Edmonton football team is getting close to finalizing the new team name. They have it narrowed down to the following exciting options. The Edmonton Evergreens, Eagles, Elk Hounds, Eclipse, Elk, Evergolds, and Elements. This whole premise doesn't work on a few different levels. First off, People don't name their teams in an effort to be offensive. You pick something fearsome, respected, powerful, Ottawa Senators notwithstanding. It's why you have teams like the Colorado Avalanche or the Seattle Kraken rather than the Winnipeg Jerry from Accounting is an assholes or the Montreal Lazy Trudeaus. The name Eskimo isn't supposed to be offensive. It's fearsome, respected, and powerful. Here's the other problem. The word Eskimo isn't actually offensive at all. Everything you've been told about this is wrong. This is why I have trust issues. It doesn't mean eater of raw fish, no matter how many times we've been told that. Which, by the way, isn't offensive either, because sushi is fucking delicious. The word Eskimo comes from the word Askimu, meaning a person who laces a snowshoe, or netter of snowshoes. Can someone please explain to me why a group of people having shoes is offensive to anyone aside from a 1950s housewife? And right now, you might be thinking, 14.8 squared, are you sure about this? Why have I never heard this before? Great question. Don't take my word for it. Go to the Alaska Native Language Center or the Oxford Dictionary if you don't believe me. And the problem with this whole cancel culture situation is that people are too scared to speak up. Nobody does this. Companies are made up of people. Every one of those people has a job with that company. And, with the exception of NDP voters, most folks see having a job as a good thing. So, when there's a meeting about this PR shit show at Edmonton Eskimo headquarters, no one is going to put their head on the chopping block. No matter how much the company stands to gain from an honest conversation about this, 
every individual that makes up the company has a hell of a lot more to lose if it goes poorly and their name's on it. Now, I understand many of you are disillusioned. This has been your team for a very long time. Maybe you're even season ticket holders. You're upset, and that's fine. Vote with your wallet. Vote with your heart. If you don't want to cheer for the Edmonton Emasculateds, come on over to the sunny side of the stadium. Rider Nation will happily bring in every single one of you poor, lost souls. Jason Kenney had a stunning and brave announcement last week when he said that he created the world's largest contiguous protected boreal forest. Bitch, you moved lines on a map. You didn't create shit. This is why I have trust issues. This is the exact same kind of dumb horse shit the liberals pulled when they lifted millions out of poverty. For those of you who don't remember the details on this, they were able to lift millions out of poverty by moving them from one spreadsheet column to another. Seriously, they lowered the threshold amount for being in poverty, then bragged about how fewer people in Canada are poor now. You used to be broke as fuck, but now you're only broke as shit. Vote liberal in 2021, and we'll make you broke as hell. There's a new meat alternative on the market. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Its developers claim that this new Canadian-style synthetic meat is able to hold more complex flavors than anything available on the market today, aside from actual meat, of course. And this is why I have trust issues. These idiot vegetarians have been standing on a soapbox in their Birkenstocks for years, telling us that this carrot shit they're peddling tastes just as good as actual meat. Now one of them comes along and says their product doesn't taste as good as actual meat, but it's still better than the other carrot shit out there. So basically, you've been lying to us this whole time, but now you're not, and we're supposed to believe you. This is the same shit Elizabeth May tried to pull when Michael Moore released that movie he did about how bad renewables are last year. Planet of the Humans. Check it out if you have a chance. It's really educational. Her main argument against the ideas in the movie was that they were outdated by about 10 years. Not a great look for someone who's been leading the Green Party for 13 years and saying that renewable energy is amazing the entire time. You hear about it all the time in the news. Far-right extremism, increased alt-right sentiments, far-right ideologies becoming more prevalent. The CBC, always a great choice for unbiased centrist journalism, wrote a long op-ed this week discussing it. And, in true Canadian legacy media fashion, it rolls out all the tired tropes. It has a handful of anecdotes, then talks about the increase in extremist groups, but never names them. It implies that they're connected to QAnon. It even throws Wexit into there for good measure. More on that in a future episode. But they never provide evidence for any of it. Then, in perhaps the most ironic statement ever from a member of the CBC, it states that a, quote, media literacy curriculum has never been more urgent. The CBC. 
the CBC, who is regularly put in front of the ombudsman for misleading articles. The CBC, whose viewership consists of the super far left and like 17 old people. The CBC, whose former viewers slash current unwilling donors have become so alienated from their ridiculous ideologies that more people tune into this podcast than watch most of their YouTube videos, and I've been doing this for less than a month. Those people want media literacy for future generations? They're too arrogant to realize it will literally be their demise. And this is why I have trust issues. So anyway, the article goes on to speak about just how important it is to identify extremist rhetoric. It wants politicians to take the lead on this. It wants the police to take point on how to identify bias and extremism. Well, you know what, CBC? Nobody's doing this. Probably because nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. So, if you want to keep telling us that this is an obvious problem, we're going to need some obvious examples. Because right now, it's all bullshit. It's never even been defined. You want us to watch out for this stuff? You tell us what to watch out for. We live in a country where the main conservative party option is left of center. Our most extreme official political party is literally small L centrist. If you want us to take this and you seriously, we're going to need some instruction or guidelines. Give us some telltale signs that your neighbor or your coworker or your family member might be a far right extremist. For example, he has a job. He pays taxes. He is a man. He identifies as a man. He gets the measure of people based on who they are rather than what color they are. He thinks Martin Luther King had some good things to say. He thinks the government wastes money on stupid shit. He thinks that laws should be applied uniformly. He takes care of his yard. It's not all darkness, though. As fucking crazy as it is to say, France, of all places, is leading the charge against this. Emmanuel Macron spoke out against far-left extremism and cancel culture recently. And let's be clear, if Emmanuel Macron is telling people that they've gone too far left, that's like Ron Jeremy calling you a slut. It's not just him, though. Their education minister, Jean-Michel Blanquer, why does everything you say in French require you to talk like you've got a mouthful of gravel, by the way? Jean-Michel Blanquer said that there is a, quote, battle to wage against an intellectual matrix from American universities. I never thought I'd be saying that I would follow the French into battle, but hey, they're like a thousand years overdue on this, folks. It's about time. But far-right extremism isn't the only thing the left never wants to define. They keep pushing for a living wage. Usually it isn't specified, but sometimes they say it's 15 bucks an hour. And this idiocy started way back in 2012. Step one in the idiocy was when they said, Hey, look, people in the States want 15 bucks an hour. We need that too. It's almost as if these people have never heard of currency exchange rates. Now, take into account the fact that this was nine years ago. 
The 2020 number isn't out yet, but assuming it's somewhere around 2%, inflation has made that now $17. Yes, that's what I'm saying. The people who tell us that they've done the math on $15 an hour minimum wage aren't even smart enough to take inflation into consideration. And we're supposed to believe the other math? The math that they've never shown anyone? The math that isn't the least bit suspicious? What is a living wage? What is it based on? How many hours a week is a person expected to work? How much growing of food are they expected to do on their own? You know who really deserves a living wage, by the way? Our politicians. Look, my grandparents were farmers. The only personal things they bought were coffee, tea, sugar, yeast, salt, pepper, and clothes. Everything else was either farmed, hunted, or trapped. Their living wage, that is, the amount of money they needed to live, was almost nothing. Now, obviously, they're an extreme example, but that's the whole point. This whole thing is on a whole lot of spectrums. This whole thing has a whole lot of holes in it. How much food are you reasonably expected to grow yourself? Even if you live in a city, you can have a garden in your yard. If you don't have room, there's community gardens. Even if you're in a condo, you can put a lot of potted plants on your balcony. My buddy is this wonderful mix of drunk, responsible, and Irish. His balcony is literally full of plants. I found an online blog from some British person who claimed they grew about 83 kilos of food on an 8x6 balcony in a year. That's ballpark 500 bucks worth. If you're a hunter, you can fill your deep freeze with venison for the cost of a tag and bonus, if you do it in Alberta, you don't have to deal with those big bulky antlers like you do in other places. How much money are you expected to pay for the roof over your head? It's going to vary depending on what city, what area, and what kind of place you want. And none of these touch on what the biggest problem is. Here's how you figure out how much money you have to stay alive. Your hourly wage times how many hours you work times 1 minus your effective tax rate equals the amount of money in your pocket. So how many hours a week is this based on? Government employees work 35 hours a week. If you work in oil and gas and you're busy, you're going to work maybe twice that. Again, we have a spectrum, yet nothing is defined. The entire premise of the living wage is $15 an hour, but they never say how many hours is expected to achieve it. Classic leftist half-thought-out doctrine. And here's the other part. They never want to push for lower taxes. All their social programs cost money, and they know it has to come from somewhere. Rather than trying to make taxes lower so more people have money for food and shelter, they focus solely on one variable in a three-part equation. The whole thing is incredibly poorly thought out and doesn't stand up to even the most cursory examination, just like the rest of their policies. Here's an update on the Keystone Pipeline cancellation. The Western Standard reported that the Liberals won't be filing a grievance under the new North American Free Trade Agreement, despite there being a clear case for it. This, you might remember from a few years ago, was the trade agreement Christia Freeland got put in charge of negotiating, 
where every step of the way she shit, pissed, and puked the bed, then rolled around in it. She did eventually manage to stumble across the finish line, though, and Canadians ended up with an international agreement that ensures that if things like this happen, they are able to pursue violators of the agreement for damages, which is what the federal government is now declining to do. And that begs the question, what in the hot and ready Hawaiian fuck are we paying you people for? This is why I have trust issues. I did a bit of research here because I didn't want to miss anything. I googled Canadian federal government purpose. The first result that came up was from the Government of Canada website. It takes you to a broken link, and if that isn't the most on-brand thing possible for our federal government, I don't know what is. Justin Trudeau and Catherine McKenna announced last week that they were spending, or if you want to be slightly more accurate, the taxpayers are spending $15 billion on public transit in the next few years. This is so fucking dumb, it's literally what I would expect from the liberals. An interesting thing has been happening in the private sector. They've embraced working from home. It isn't without drawbacks, but it has two very major advantages. One, folks working from a home office is a hell of a lot cheaper than paying for a downtown skyscraper, and that's better for the company's bottom line. Two, if location is no longer a consideration, you can hire the most talented people you can find regardless of where they live. The ripple effects of this through municipal infrastructure are going to be huge. You don't have to have endless buses and subway cars hauling masses by the thousands into a crammed downtown district. Parking is no longer nearly as valuable because more of it will be available. Honestly, you might be able to make a decent argument for bike lanes in a few years if existing traffic lanes are sufficiently underutilized. The flip side of that, though, is that public transit might no longer be viable. I mean, look at its basic premise. It helps the environment because all the emissions given off in pouring all that concrete, laying down all that track, and hammering all of it together are more than offset by the amount of emissions people aren't giving off in their vehicles. The whole thing relies on lots of people using it, hence the name mass transit. You take the masses out of it, and you have a very expensive, very empty, very costly, very dear, very redundant, taxpayer-funded project that will never climb out of its carbon deficit or its fiscal deficit. The whole thing falls apart like Justin Trudeau being asked an unscripted question. Now look, I'm not saying it's going to be like this. All I'm saying is that it could, and if you're going to spend $15 billion on something that society may have already left behind you, you may as well spend it on hitching posts and man buns. So some idiot in the States used Gorilla Glue on her hair. Now the big problem came up with this because she's a black woman, so everything else about this stopped mattering immediately. And in classic social justice warrior fashion, the masses jumped to her defense and tried to turn this into a race issue. 
Do you people have any idea how low-key racist it is to see someone superglue their hair to their fucking skull and say, this is what black people do? No, this is what fucking idiots do. And if you're going to mix up those two categories of people, you're a racist idiot. The governor of Michigan is slated to shut down Enbridge's Line 5 pipeline by May of this year. It supplies up to 540,000 barrels per day of oil and natural gas. According to Enbridge's website, it delivers 65% of the propane that heats Michigan's Upper Peninsula homes and 55% of Michigan's propane needs overall. It terminates in Sarnia, Ontario, where the refinery, refineries, I'm not quite clear on that, employ thousands of people and is the major supplier to Toronto's main airport. In fact, it supplies about 45% of all the gas, diesel, and jet fuel in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Ontario, and Quebec. It is anything but inconsequential. And make no mistake about it, the governor wants this pipeline shut down. That crazy bitch even filed previously to have it taken out of commission under grounds of it being a public nuisance. That's the kind of grasping at straws we usually only get glimpses of when Jagmeet Singh tries to be relevant enough to be interviewed. The public nuisance suit, of course, was immediately thrown out, but she's appealing nonetheless. She's even fighting against her House of Representatives on this. But this is who the people voted for. Now, I'm not for shutting it down. I'm not for keeping it open. What I am for is for people being able to run for office under any policy they want. You cannot restrict ideas on this, even if you don't like them. If you want to run on a policy that every man gets their dick chopped off so Jessica Yanov doesn't feel so alone in the world, have at it. The voters will decide. I'm for people voting for any policy they see best. I'm for letting the people who were elected make the decisions they said they would and letting the consequences of those decisions fall on the folks who voted for them. If it just so happens that you voted for a far-left governor who will literally leave you out in the cold, or a prime minister who's so out of touch with regular people he thinks that shopping bags are single-use and laid the groundwork for your source of energy to be cut off from you entirely, I'm for letting that happen. You reap what you sow. Now, I know that's not fair to everyone. The entire area around Sarnia, the whole bottom corner of Ontario, voted Conservative in the last federal election. None of them wanted this. None of them voted for this. And yet, if that line shuts down, the effects of it will decimate them. But none of them have ever voted in strength for a party that gives them autonomy. None of them have ever pushed for greater independence from an indifferent Ottawa. They're in the same boat that so many people in Western Canada are. They've supported a party that's only marginally less bad than the alternative and hoped everything just worked itself out magically. If you never vote for any real change, don't be surprised when it doesn't happen. Now, I live in Western Canada. I've seen firsthand the effects that bad governance has. 
I've seen businesses, livelihoods, families, all destroyed with the stroke of a pen by someone who doesn't represent you and lives so far away that they'll never feel the effects of the abysmal decisions they've made. It fucking sucks. I don't think Line 5 will be shut down, though. The governor in Michigan will do far better in her next election as someone who failed striving towards a noble goal than someone who upended their entire way of life. And keep in mind that there is nothing more important to a politician than re-election. But I really feel like the big takeaway here is that people in another part of your province, your country, a different part of the world, won't hesitate to make decisions that aren't in your best interests if they have something to gain from it. And that the only way to beat that is to give them less power by giving yourself more autonomy. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe or follow whatever you need to do on whatever device you listen to your podcasts on. And make sure you guys come around next week for the new episode of My 222 Cents.